You're listening to a Whales Are Whales production. You're also listening to Whales. Visit whalesorwhales.com for more projects and shows like this one. This is episode 13 of Third Person, a storytelling podcast. I am your host, Brian, and joining me today are actually the two other people who are supposed to be joining me on this podcast, which is actually kind of mind-blowing. Steven. Hey. How are you doing? Oh, uh, very good as one of the third people. You are one of the third people. The last of the third people, or one might say the third of the third people, is Abigail. Hello, Abigail. How are you doing today? Hello, Brian. I'm doing well, and this intro is very awkward. It is. Just letting you know, in case you didn't notice that, I, I did. I feel comfortable. I've decided to start adding pauses between when I speak <laughs> to give people some time to consider what I'm saying. You know, that's legitimately something that I did for a while. I slowed down my speech on purpose and allowed myself to make awkward pauses just so I would stop slurring sentences together and babbling. It oh. really helps you think. Did you? Um, <laughs> Only if you do it the way he does it, then people talk over you and just don't care about what you have to say. Well, that's kind of what happens anyway. So. <laughs> I did notice that, though, from my time on the phones. Um, I would listen to a call after I'd made one and go, holy cow, that girl's talking so fast. So I hope I've kind of gotten over that, but I don't think so. But now I'm self-conscious of it, so I'm going to talk real slow this episode. Oh, lovely. Yes, this is going to be our first uh, three-hour episode. I'm excited about it. <laughs> well, maybe we could probably cut down on most of the time if you'd stop talking like William Shatner for a minute and <laughs> let us uh, <laughs> go on about our business. That's a pretty good idea. So so let's move on here to our first segment. What? And this segment isn't awkward at all in how it's worded. What have you been narratively involved with? <laughs> Abigail, since you're such a fan of this segment, you can go first. I am a fan of the segment. I'm just not a fan of the name. <laughs> Anyways, before I uh, before I share what I've been narratively involved with, I would like to share a um, a crazy like epiphany moment almost that I had this okay. morning. Not this morning, actually, like a few minutes ago. Oh, wow. Um, so I opened up the show notes, and uh, mm-hmm. for the listeners' benefits, in the show notes, we all write down what we've been narratively involved with, so that you know one of us doesn't forget. Mm-hmm. Because that's very easy to do. I don't yes. actually oh, yeah. know if that's why, but we do do that. And so I opened it up, and my name was there. And so I, I, I looked at it, and I went, "Oh no, I forgot! I'm supposed to be narratively involved with something, so that I have something to put here." And then I went, "Wait a second! I have been reading something recently. This is awesome!" And I've actually had that reaction for the past three episodes, where mm. I'm just like, "Oh no, I need something." Wait, I have something. And so it just kind of restored my faith in the fact that I am actually narratively involved with things, and that makes me really happy. That's actually really good, because I was wondering if we needed to kick you off the podcast or not, <laughs> if it was just going to be, hi, guys, I've been watching Friends. And then I have to be like, nope. Uh, but that's really good to hear, Abigail. I remember last year, I was like servant of a last year, last episode. <laughs> yes, last year. Last year, you know, two weeks ago, it was a servant of a dark god. Did you end up finishing that? 
I have not finished that. Okay. I've been a terrible person. So that book, although I'm reading it, I'm not reading it as consistently as I've read other books. It's a very, very good book. I really enjoy it. Um, I have noticed it is one of those books where I love it while I'm inside of it, and I don't necessarily, I'm not craving to go back to it. Mm -hmm. So it's more of a discipline to get back into it, which is fine. There are books like that, um, and I, I totally get that, and so I'm still going to enjoy it. But I took a break from that this past weekend and just read a complete chill, guilty pleasure book, which turned out to be really good despite it's being really bad if okay. that makes sense um do tell because <laughs> I, I have no idea what this book I'm, I'm, I'm like what the heck is this are these two books because it is like two books slash. there's a okay. slash two books same author same series actually um the first book was called the selection by okay. kira crap kira i think cass so okay. you say her name um and this book was pitched to me by a co-worker she's actually mm -hmm. the one who lent me the book and she said it's kind of like The Bachelor mixed with the story of Esther mixed with The Hunger Games. Mm. And that's oh. that's how she described it to me. And, <laughs> and so you got you, you to read it. Ran out to Barnes and Noble that very day. <laughs> <laughs> but no, she she lent it to me. I took it home. And I started reading okay. it. And um So I'm going to I'm going to share with you my first impressions of the book before I tell you about the plot. Uh -huh. Um, in the first couple of chapters, I'm reading this book and it is so tailored to teenage puberty girls that I could not stand it. And I was uh -huh. like, oh my God, I will freaking punch someone. I cannot finish this book. This is so bad. I have no this clue. When, it's moments like these. And I'm very <laughs> glad I live in a different city or I'm pretty sure I would be the person you would punch most of the time. If you were the one who recommended the book. Probably. <laughs> so no, I think like just a, either way. Give us a, a bullet point list of all of the all of the things that make it so stereotypical. Well, the things that made these first chapters not necessarily stereotypical. Like, I mean, it is stereotypical, but the things that made this first chapters so bad to me was one, I was unfamiliar with it, so it's gonna have to work really hard to get me into it. Mm -hmm. Two, um, there was some poor grammar in the beginning that kind of threw me off and made me feel like this lady couldn't write just because I was kind of confused by a couple of things that she said, but I figured it out later. Um, three was that the whole first couple chapters was pretty much talking about boys mm. and how the main character wasn't pretty or didn't think she was pretty. Um, and things like that, like the typical YA heroine woman who's like, you know, oh, I'm not a beauty, but I'm tough and have whatever, whatever. It's just most stereotypical heroine ever. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I couldn't handle it. I thought it was dumb. I thought the conversation that she was having with her family around the table was dumb and stilted, and it was just terrible. And I was like, I'm closing this book. However, mm -hmm. then I read the front cover, and it talks about the romance that is to come <laughs> in the book. Well, you always know, Abigail, you can't judge a book by its content. You have to read the cover, and that is when you can truly understand how good a book is. <laughs> well, it's like the inside flap. You open it up, and there's words on the inside, you know. Um, so I read over this, and it's talking about this love triangle slash thing that's coming up in the rest of the Wait book. Wait a minute. And, There's a on. love triangle? <laughs> and so it's talking about this, and I go, you know what? Let's give it a second shot. And so that's I got annoying. back into it, and it's actually really good, but it's totally guilty pleasure. So the plot of this book, this girl is in a future society after America's fallen and has been oh, rebuilt gosh. into another country, all that. You Are know? you telling me this is post-apocalyptic? <laughs> 
kind of like there's still society. It's not like it's not like Hunger Games post-apocalyptic. It's just All like right. the new society that's risen up. All right. So it's not as bad. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty much it's terrible. <laughs> and so society has been separated into castes. There's uh, eight of them. And of course, there's the lower castes and the higher castes. And the higher castes are closer to like, you know, rich people and royalty. The lower castes mm-hmm. are like the... You know, the eights are like the beggars, the sixes are the servants and stuff Wait, like are that. are they literally just like, I'm part of cast five? I'm sorry? Are, are they literally just numbers? Like, I'm part of cast seven, is that yes. how they do it? Just, okay, They're like, gotcha. I'm a seven, is what they say. Okay. Um, so they just literally are numbered. And so she's part of the fifth cast. And so she's not super poor, but she's not super rich. Um, gotcha. She's closer to the poor side. She's a musician. Um, and so basically, the plot of this story is... The prince of the uh, kingdom, I guess, which is basically yes. all of North America. So Canada, North America, Mexico, all of it has been unified into one country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the prince is getting married and they have a tradition that the prince always marries like the princesses. If there's a princess, she marries someone from a different um, kingdom to like unify kingdoms or whatever. But the prince always chooses someone from within his own to kind of like raise morale or whatever. And so they have this process where they have the girls kind of submit, basically submit an application. It's almost like the Hunger Games where you can get drawn, only you have to put in your name. Um, So they put in their names, they draw 36 girls, and they take all 36 of those to the palace where the prince then narrows them down, chooses his wife, and everything's happy. That's an efficient way of doing it. Yeah, exactly. It sort of reminds me of of, uh, the video game Broken Age where certain girls from villages will uh, volunteer themselves to uh, wear beautiful dresses that were made by their families and uh, be sacrificed uh, by the terrible beast. Um, and it is a great honor. Uh, and they're all clamoring over each other to be the first one to do it. Wow, or it's kind of like OkCupid, okay, except there's only one person that it's all <laughs> created for. I Wait, that's what I meant. I was just explaining yes. OkCupid. Okay, Sorry. <laughs> Gotcha. So, okay, so the plot. The prince is selecting his bride among 36, was yes, it? 36. Okay. I don't know why 36, but 36. Yeah, so, 36. he's selecting his Good bride. Um, but the twist, kind of-ish, is the main character is already involved with someone before she goes. She has been involved with this boy for two years. They're planning on getting married, but he's from a lower caste. And so she would have to move down a peg to marry him, which she's willing to do, but there's like all these rules and stuff and they'd have to get it all legalized and whatever, but they're still planning on doing this. But the boy comes to his senses and is a terrible jerk to her and is like, you know what? I can't provide for you the way that I want to, so we shouldn't get married. Breaks her heart um, after she's already applied, you know, for this thing because he wanted her to, because he wanted to make sure that, you know, He's not holding her back from anything or whatever. It was so dumb and so high school, but whatever. And so she ends up getting drawn. She goes to this thing with a broken heart, already knowing she doesn't want to marry the prince, but she's at this thing anyways. And so it's about her in this palace going through this competition, you know, still kind of having feelings for this other guy, but also kind of falling for the prince. And there's a lot of twists and stuff, and it's just wonderful high school girly fun. And... I would not recommend this book to anyone who's looking for serious literature. However, okay. I would. This podcast rec- <laughs> is not about serious literature. It's all good. That's good. But I would, I would recommend this book to anyone who loves sappy chick flicks or like you know, friends. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, 
you're reading this book because it is a book for you and you want to keep Abigail, it quiet. You had my hopes up so much so <laughs> you were bringing friends. <laughs> no, it is very it is very good. It's it's written it's not like the best writing I've ever seen, but it's fast-paced. I got through the first book. The only reason it didn't take a day and a half like it only it took like three days but that's because i was doing stuff like last mm. night i sat down started the second book and i got halfway through it in an evening okay. and so it's really fast paced it's really fun it's really light and it gives you the warm fuzzies that you like to feel with a good you know chick flick or something like that and so anyone who likes ya romance or anyone who's a girl pretty much will like this book all right. Awesome. Well, that's, you know, half the population, so there's a good exactly. chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a good chance someone will like that book. Stephen. Yeah. Uh, nope, I'm not a girl, and Speaking I Speaking have... of books you like, wait for me to say my segue. <laughs> okay. Speaking of books you like, um, what have you been reading that you like? Uh, well, Brian, I've decided that I've, I like Star Wars more than books. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, Star Wars is great. I Star Wars is very great. I watched The Force Awakens trailer. A number mm-hmm. of times. Yes. <laughs> um, I got kind of choked up the first time I watched it. Like, and that, yeah. th- it's tough for that to really happen with the trailer. Right. Um, I'm fully, I'm, I'm actually really interested in the development of the, of the Force Awakens. And yet I am dedicated to ignoring it because I want to have that magic of surprise when I go to the theater. Yeah. Um, I'm going to kind of go media dark on it from here on out. Yeah, That's well, don't idea. go too far into media dark because then you'll go to the media dark side and then mm-hmm. that is not quick and easy. Media path. Darth Vader will extend his hand to you and ask you, you want to rule the media galaxy with him. Yeah, and then totally, he'll cut off totally your media I want hand. to rule the media galaxy with him. That would oh, okay. be awesome. I would not pass that up. <laughs> yeah, he would only well, cut off my seriously. media hand if I refused, or rather, he would cut it off and then offer it to me, which I mean, I'm okay with. Who really needs two hands? That's true. Plus, um, if you get it replaced by, like, a robot hand, it's yeah. way better than a regular hand anyways. Exactly. And then, years later, your robot hand can be in a trailer that makes people choked up. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And yeah, it can look it. way better than it did when you first got it put on. Yeah, all right. Exactly. And now it's like, hmm, it looks exactly like a human hand. That's boring. Why do I actually make it look like a robot hand? <laughs> because it was the 60s. Yeah, pretty much. Because it was the 60s. That. Or yeah, 70s. Sure, we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> That so, is, yeah, that's. I can't imagine them doing a very good robot hand back then. No, not in the sixties. They could have painted it. Let's move on, <laughs> Stephen. All right. Um, so you, but you have doing been doing other Star Wars things in addition to the trailer. Well, I realized that hey, we can connect these two worlds. Star Wars and books don't have to be, you know, separated. I don't know. Times. For most of the Star Wars books I've read, we should probably keep Star Wars. And so books I read separated. this book, and it started out with Luke meditating. And immediately, <laughs> I was enraptured, enraptured by the entire experience. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just joking. I uh, realized that I was sick. And oh, I. Wait a minute. Before you start the story. Okay. You are here as my messenger. Anyone who has listened to last episode remembers the point where I was saying Revenge of the Sith had a good plot. And everyone else disagreed with me on the podcast then. But Stephen, you are here today to back up the exact point I made on the last podcast. Unsurprisingly, I agree with Brian. Yes. <laughs> Whoa. So what I, I wanted to like do. I feel like we eventually agreed with you by the end. Maybe. Maybe. I need to go back and listen to it. But that's probable. I so, feel like you won me over, but I didn't want to admit it. <laughs> you may have never even admitted it. Yeah, so we I don't have audio didn't. proof of it. But that's awesome. Right. I'll go listen so to the last episode. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, let's pull a George Lucas and go back and make a special edition where um, Abigail, (laughs) like, you know, a little insert, like, I agree with you, Brian. And then. Exactly. Like, really weirdly edited and clipped in there. There we go. Yep. Um, All right, Steven. So, so, yeah, I had this thing called the flute. Um, Mm -hmm. It was horrible. It was two weeks long. Wait, you were sick? Totally sick. I didn't even notice. That's why I didn't make it to that episode, Abigail. (laughs) Abigail is such a good friend. (laughs) I'm sorry. I knew you were sick. I told Abigail and Parker that you were dead. Oh, I can see the confusion there. It was very close to the truth. And so um, I wanted basically comfort food. You know, if Abigail's comfort food is friends mixed with the Hunger Games, then my comfort food (laughs) is a way to experience Star Wars without having to open my eyes. So... Nice. I decided to go through all of the novelizations of the first three movies and then listen to all of the radio dramas of the uh, original trilogy. Yes. So I started with The Phantom Menace and I was really excited and it was showing like special scenes that weren't in the movie. And then it slowly eased into basically just being the movie in audio form. And it was really boring. So I quit. Yeah. I didn't even get to the pod race. Yep. So then I said, next up, Attack of the Clones. Nope, that's horrible. So I skipped that one too. Then I got to Revenge of the Sith, which I've read twice before. And I remember it being great, but my um, expectations had been um, severely wounded from the last two, right? So yes. I started up, and immediately I remember why it's so good. It's so good. It is it rockets past the movie in every single way and is probably matched only by The Empire Strikes Back, the actual movie of The Empire Strikes Back. Other than that, it is the best Star Wars thing ever. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's really surprising because I feel like Star Wars' best is like meant to be a movie. That's what it is. It inspired generations because it was a film. But somehow, and who wrote this book? Was it, um? let me look. Uh, it was Stephen King. Revenge of the, no, it wasn't, Brian. No. Nope. Ridiculous. Revenge of the Sith novel author. It was John Green. It was a man named <laughs> Matthew Stover. Matthew, Matthew Stover. Matthew Stover. I was close. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks kind of like a rugged Joss Whedon. Oh, wow. Yeah. Stover. Yes, Abigail. <laughs> yeah. You, you got it, Abigail. <laughs> He's typing I wasn't in sure my notes. Said- Stover or Stofer, but I was I was actually writing that down because that makes me really want to read this, so I might actually go get it on my Kindle. Yeah, let me tell you. Here's what what's so brilliant about it. Revenge of the Sith is an excellent, excellent story. It is an amazing concept. You have the Jedi Order, this ancient order of like warrior monks who have been peacekeepers for so many years, forced into soldier roles because of this corrupt politician who is beloved by all but actually an evil version of the monks controlling the entire universe you have the dashing hero of anakin skywalker with his best friend Owen kenobi a heartwarming relationship with the secret love with padme amidala who's a senator in the interesting political structures it is a great great story but in the movie it is told very awkwardly <laughs> it is told with lines such as how brian reminded me <clears throat> From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. <laughs> That's a pretty horrible line that is actually said in the movie. And is Obi-Wan says, Anakin, Chancellor Palpatine is evil. And Anakin says, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Like, 
I have to imagine in the script it said, from Anakin's point of view, the Jedi are evil, write a line to reflect this. And just no one ever wrote a line to reflect yeah. it. Because and so Hayden Christensen is like, it just says this, like, just go with it. George is fine. Yep. George is fine. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. And I read a, very a really in- I read a really interesting article recently. It was an interview with George Lucas. Yep. Um, and in that interview, he said, I know I am notorious for wooden dialogue. Um, but that's because I don't care about dialogue very much. What George Lucas cares about is the the emotion, the visual. Even if you don't understand the language, he right. says the original Star Wars and really all of Star Wars can be understood. Like we were talking about before, Darth Vader reaching his hand out, Luke Skywalker on the precipice and, right. you know, wounded and all of that emotion and the music yeah. and the cinematography, that's what Star Wars is about. Yeah, the interview is one with uh, Stephen Colbert, actually, and the exact quote was, I believe half of, this is George Lucas speaking, I can't do a good George Lucas impression, so. I can do a great quote, one. I'll do it, don't don't worry about it. Quote, I believe half a movie is the sound. The sound is extremely important, but the dialogue is not. That's not where the issue is. I'm notorious for wooden dialogue, but at the same time, it's like points above, points ahead and above himself. Himself. Here comes another one. You've got to say that. But what it does is it's part of the soundtrack. It's like singing. Obviously, you can do it a cappella. You can. It's beautiful. But ultimately, when you have a big symphony orchestra, you have a lot of stuff. And the singing is in there, the choir and everything. It's all one big soundtrack. End quote. Which is a really interesting, completely different way of looking at dialogue than the modern context of storytelling. I think it's, I think it's brilliant. Um, I think it's what, it's, it's part of what made Star Wars so universal in the first place. And I think that he has embraced that to the extent where he can no longer consistently write passable dialogue or in, or right. interesting dialogue. He doesn't even care. The original Star Wars was fun. And yeah, it was camp. Revenge of the Sith is serious and it no longer works. So all that to say, take someone uh, like this Matthew Stover fellow, whom uh, Abigail was able to spell correctly in our notes. Yay! Huzzah. And he takes all of these concepts and characters and drama, which is just fantastic, um, and digs into it and embellishes lines and changes lines and adds scenes and puts emotion into it that um, I rarely feel from, um, well, most kind of action adventure novels that I read, let alone yeah. one adapted from a, you know, kind of a um, troubled uh, film. <laughs> Yep. So I, I heartily recommend it. You learn all about Count Dooku's true character and somehow Anakin goes from being, you know, kind of half whiny, half broody to how I always imagined he would be in a really likable and conflicted. It's a great book. Hmm. So now if George Lucas could simply, instead of ignoring his weakness, realize his weakness and then pair with someone who's actually good at writing dialogue... Then his movies would be stellar. That's what Empire Strikes Back was. <laughs> right. In a lot of ways exactly. Really. Kirshner was a the director. They had well, Empire Strikes Back. Well, here's was, the cool thing about uh, Empire is you're right. It was Urban Kirshner who directed, so he was dealing with uh, the the moment to moment. Like, no, make it more like this, more like that. Then Lawrence Kasdan was there, helping with the script. George Lucas good. was there directing and saying, "The cinematographer, Darth Vader, right? is Luke's father." You know, it's like, yeah. that's what he was doing. He, that's what he's right. good at. Um, and it kind of makes you realize that poor George Lucas has, has done so many wonderful things over his life, but is a laughing stock now. And he really shouldn't be mocked just because he's good at things and not good at other things. 
Um, his whole problem was not knowing when to accept other people's help, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so. you know, just to go back to your little, um, your analogy before, or at least, or rather, I think it was George Lucas's analogy of the symphony. Um, it was. My thought process during this, and I just have to get this out, but my thought process during this is, well, yes, you know, for instance, the singer or something who is backed by a large orchestra, the orchestra is definitely more important and more emotional, and you can understand it through everything, but if it's a bad singer, I'm still not going to listen. Mm, that's fair enough. So, in um, my opinion, I'm just like, well... I'm glad that you admitted that you're bad at this. It is 100% okay that you're bad at this, but um, you definitely need to learn when to accept help, which hopefully he's getting better at because I he's don't... He's more of learned to stop doing it altogether. Yeah. <laughs> one way to do it. Uh, that is one way to do it. Stopping doing it altogether. Uh, <laughs> oh, Steve, you did point Well, I was just going to conclude this with, I really hope that what J.J. Abrams can do is keep that drama and keep mm. that vision of George Lucas alive right. while, you know, writing characters, exploring those worlds that are easier to relate with and care about. Yeah. That would be insane. <clears throat> yes. So boy, yeah. do I love that book. For myself, this, uh, this, these past couple weeks haven't, there hasn't been any, uh, big, like, narrative involvements for me, as we like to call them. I've been touching on a few different stories. As we like to call them. Read, <laughs> as I like to call them. Um, I've been reading through some more Golem and the Genie, which is taking me forever to get through, but I'm book. enjoying it. You keep spelling um, it wrong, too. You know, uh, Writing Excuses plugged that book, uh, last episode. Really? Yeah, uh, uh Mary cool. Robin at Coel absolutely adores it so far. Hmm. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It makes sense. It's it's kind of it's kind of like her kind of book. I read her first novel that she published, Shades of Milk and Honey. Um, Me too. And it's the the Golem and the Genie is very similar in that it's a, a kind of a near history set with a little bit of magic, very calm but also very uh, character exploratory. So sorry to interrupt you, Brian, but I thought that was of interesting. Course. And Abigail, I'm not spelling it wrong. I'm spelling it in a different permutation. But it's technically <laughs> correct. It is technically uh, correct, not the actual but book title. the book title. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not You're going by. <laughs> um, also, uh, yeah, touched on, a played a little Red Dead Redemption, which is like a Western kind of video game. Has an okay plot. It's Grand Theft Auto with Cowboys. Kind of, yeah. And the plot suffers a lot because of the game construct. I don't find they do a very good job of marrying the two because it just becomes like you're going around doing basically fetch quests for people because you need their help and it just becomes really repetitive. Even though they write pretty interesting characters, the way you interact with them just gets super rote. So not actually a huge fan of that plot. And then finally, Stephen, of course, we both have on here Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, oh, man. which is I we do not have time to go into the intricacies of how no. incredible this plot is. But um, if you're a fan of little toadstool men getting kidnapped by birds. Well, little toadstool men, because man? we learned that t the toads are genderless. That's true. Little toadstools getting kidnapped by giant birds, then this is your uh, your bag. Yeah, Technically, so. the term man can be genderless as well. Uh, that's actually kind of true, I guess. Well. The race of um, man. We, we learned all sorts of new things here from, <laughs> but, from um, Abigail. <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm like, did she say Haroom? Is she an int now? Or like, what? <laughs> Okay, but we have time to move on. Well, luckily we have yeah, time. I would well, thank have time. God. <laughs> we luckily have enough time to talk about like the point of why we're here, which is our main topic this week. The main topic. Dun, dun, oh, I like that bumper. <laughs> do you want me to do my announcer voice for it? No, I think that other one is good. Okay. Well, I mean, go ahead. Okay. You know I like to do the announcer voice. Yeah. Welcome to the main topic, known as Tone Talk. 
Indeed. Uh, Tone Talk is about the tone of different stories. This was inspired by Steven. I've decided we're going to start rotating out who brings the main topic to each show, so it's not just me coming up with stuff every week and making you guys talk about mm. it. Um, so I decided to start rotating who generates the ideas, and this week it was uh, Steven's turn, and you came up with this. So why don't you just explain a little bit like what this conversation is about and what inspired it. All right. Um, well, this topic makes us relevant this week. Um, because oh, wow. it, it, I was the first time ever for the first time ever, never been relevant. Before. Our podcast is relevant. <gasps> um, I was, I was inspired to talk about this by two of my closest friends, actually Batman and Superman. <laughs> uh, they recently have been fighting and people have been fighting about them fighting. Um, see, I heard about this big, uh, I've been fighting about people fighting about them fighting. So, wow, that's three levels deep. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> This trailer came out for a movie called Batman vs. Superman. And um, a lot of people started kind of dissing it right away. And I'm like, I wonder why. Huh. I don't really care that much. I don't really watch any of the DC movies. But I guess I, I'm interested enough in this uh, in this um, uh, disagreement that's been going on with many people I know on the internet that I'll watch the trailer. And it turns out what it is, is it's a, it's a really moody, dark... Um, intriguing i'm sure many of you have seen it before but if not i recommend you see it intriguing trailer um about the the war between these two great superheroes and um their their stances in the world and it doesn't tell everything it's actually quite um uh opaque one in many might ways. call it a teaser trailer yeah totally a mm, teaser trailer very teaser um but the it's real dark it both of them are kind of painted as uh anti-heroes at best um, even Superman is brought to task for being Superman and Batman. Well, everyone knows Batman. He's, um, endlessly, uh, dark, brooding, important and groundbreaking. Yes. Um, and so I was watching that. And when Brian, uh, told me to come up with the topic, I realized there's a lot of, uh, lot of discussion that goes on about the darkness or the lightness of a story of a movie, of a book, uh, what have you. Um, and it since it kind of tends to set people off, me included. Um, a really good example of this is Revenge of the Sith. It was the first PG-13 rated Star Wars movie, and it was more of a tragedy uh, than anything. The others were all action adventures or romances or mysteries or something. Um, and I kind of think it was the best prequel largely because of that. Um, Empire Strikes Back was, was another example of it. So it seems like lots of fiction that we enjoy go through these ups and downs and pushers and pulls and being darker and lighter and everyone wants to talk about it and i thought why do they want to talk about it so let's talk about it all right that's a very good setup well said Stephen. a little lengthy but i think i got the point across i do think you got the point across it wasn't that long hmm. it was only 30 minutes oh no <laughs> well we're out of time everyone <laughs> yeah well now we're out of time anyway i mean that's a pretty interesting i mean just an interesting discussion to have in general the the first thing I'd say is, what would you define tone as exactly, Stephen? Mm -hmm. I feel it's pretty self-explanatory. Well, it's, it'd be good to kind of focus in. What do you mean exactly for like for this for at least the scope of this discussion? I mean, it's an esoteric concept. Someone could could watch a movie and say that was dark, and someone else could watch the same movie and say that was a fun ride. So mm -hmm. there's no black and white. Strangely enough, however, how I tend to think of it is. Not necessarily that something violent or scary or um, morose is happening on the screen, but it's all of the elements combining to give you a feeling. That trailer well, 
was shot in dim rooms with weird lighting and shadowy faces and the music was, you know, um, tense and low key and all of the transitions were either, either jarring or slow paced. It was a emotionally dark trailer. Yeah, and that's, I think, the key word with the emotionally. It goes a little bit back to what, again, that George Lucas analogy, where it's kind of, you know, the whole symphony. What is the overall emotion being created by all of the elements coming together? That's pretty much the tone. Like someone dying can be a Lego minifigure exploding and it being like a funny goof, or it can be, you know, Arthas murdering his father in Warcraft 3 and supposed to be like this emotionally impactful, dark, brutal murder. So it's like, and kind of, it's very much... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that that's the perfect example, Lego, because then you look at the Lego movie with Lego Batman. And Lego Superman. And Lego Superman. In fact, it is Lego Batman versus Lego Superman in a certain way. Um, and everything is the most comedic, lighthearted, creative, um, happy feeling you could possibly find. Everything is bright. Everything is fast. Everything is pithy. Um, it's just it's trying to elicit joy. Um, Mm -hmm. now I'm not saying one is better than the other, but they're the direct opposites. So that's why I wanted to bring Batman and Superman in in as our test subjects, because boy, are they good at demonstrating this. Sure. So I guess a good place to start is what did you think of the tone of this trailer? Uh, well, what do you guys think of it? Abigail, did you see it for the first time? I did. I saw it for the first time just before this podcast, actually. Um, I really enjoyed the tone of this trailer. Um. Mostly because it was very intriguing. Oh, because I agree. when I think of a new superhero movie coming out, the trailer released is always this big thing. It's like, oh, here's all the exciting stuff that's happening, whatnot. Yes, this was a teaser trailer. Totally get that. But at the same time, immediately, like, it did not take very long for it to shatter all the expectations that I had for these superheroes. Or at least mm-hmm. for Superman. Uh, Batman's always been pretty infamous. But Superman, you always see him from, like, the hailed hero kind of side. Um, you see him as this, you know, great mystery, whatnot. But it opens up with him being hated. And, and beloved at the same time, though. Yeah, right? kind of like that. Like, it's almost like the trailer is judging me. Because, you know... Uh-huh. As as one of the civilians, whatnot, I would probably be like, oh, yeah, Superman, he's so great. But this trailer opens up, it's super dark, and it just says, you are wrong. Pretty much. Yeah, like, perfect, yeah. It judges you from the very beginning, and that just ca- caught me off guard. And that actually added to some of the discomfort, because you're sitting here and you're watching something that's completely opposite of everything else that you've seen. And that's also lends to the teaserness of this trailer, because by the time you get to the end, I'm going oh my god, I want to see this movie. It may not be a great movie. I don't have good expectations for superhero movies ever, but Mm -hmm. I really want to go see this one so that I can see what happens. Because I I need to know this story. I think that's another thing that can make tone really um, engaging is when it's an unexpected juxtaposition to the Mm -hmm. thing it's trying to tell. Oh, absolutely. Uh, For example, in this case, the darkness isn't a juxtaposition for Batman. If this was called Batman versus Batman 2, (laughs) Um, it would just be like, of course, this is the tone of the movie. I mean, whatever. But the fact that it's Superman, I never saw, was it Man of Steel that was the most recent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently that so movie that, was, was fairly dark. Right. So I'm, I'm going to have to discount that from, from my impression of this. But the fact that Superman, you know, typically the upstanding hero man of all time 
potentially being a threat to society instead of the savior of society creates a tone that is just completely juxtaposed to what you expect from Superman. Mm -hmm. Additionally, the Lego movie was so hilarious because it took the self-serious Batman and just had comedic fun with him from a completely light angle. And that's what made that, like, that portrayal of Batman so engaging. Um, What's funny is even with these two very drastically different tones, you still get the same characters. The characters mm-hmm. don't change, their beliefs don't change, their morals don't change, the things that they say don't really even change that much. It's just the <laughs> way that it's presented, which is very mysterious sometimes, because it's hard for right. me to believe that this one character can be presented as both comedic and super depressing, depending on all those background orchestral things. Like, we're talking about, like, the music, the lighting, the shots, the actor, the voice, all these different mm-hmm. things are pretty much polar opposite right they're working with the same core the same ideas but suddenly when by the inflection the mm-hmm. when will arnett says something like let's get in the bat car it's like oh gosh this is so stupid. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> or the batmobile as one might call it but uh, otherwise you know he could just say all right alfred let's go to the batmobile in the dark night and it's like oh gosh it's gonna be the batmobile this is cool so it's just like you know <laughs> it's all about you know it's the same idea. It's just portrayed in a way to get to elicit a different emotional response from you. I'm sorry. I'm taking a drink. I was hoping someone else would well, pick that up. Well, I was, I, I had something I was going to say, and then you guys went on so many twists and turns, I just got caught up in listening, and I haven't had an original thought in like two minutes. That's kind of what happened <laughs> oh, when y'all started with this. I got really nervous because I'm not sure I'll have much to say because it's just very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> Keep talking. Hey, let's put it this way then. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's uh, let's give a, a little bit of a defense for the people who hate this trailer, and then we'll no. sort. Okay, uh, <clears throat> everyone needs to have a fair shot at this, Brian. Fine, we need to distribute. We don't believe in being fair. Mm-mm. Being well, fair is no. We fun. learned that on the last podcast. Life isn't fair. My parents are very dead. So are yours. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay, so let's. Uh, the reason people have been disliking it, from my perspective, is that. The Marvel movies have done such a good job of making superheroes fun and able and and willing to take them more seriously than they have been in movies in the past. Now, while Batman seems to be dragging all of his DC companions um, into the mud of darkness and people are seeing it as just after, you know, three Christopher Nolan films about Batman. Now there's basically the same tone, but with Superman and they're scared. It's going to happen to wonder woman. And that these characters are supposed to be heroic and, and fun and even lighthearted. But um, this is like creatively bankrupt, cheap, you know, just turn down the That's lights and everything will get more cool. That's interesting to me that people look at the dark Knight, a movie I didn't particularly love, but it was lauded by many critics for, you know, it's themes and it's, um, and its cohesion and say that would be creatively bankrupt. Well, I think but I get what you're saying. I think that people loved it when it came out, but after three of mm-hmm. them and after doing that to every character. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it no longer has the power it once did. And I, I wonder I, why it's, I mean, it's just to, to take this idea again. Marvel has a similar problem where the tone between its movies all feel pretty similar mm-hmm. at this point. Um, so it's it's an interesting idea that Marvel has that light tone. I don't hear many people complaining that there's a monopoly on tone in Marvel, but DC took a dark approach, and that seems to be eliciting more complaints. Well, I think that um, – well, two things. I think, firstly, um, Marvel has a much more um, 
acceptable broad palate, broad palate and acceptable resting position. You know, mm. Thor getting into. In my into- opinion, they also have more loyal fans. <laughs> like not more loyal, as in they're more loyal, but they have a larger number of mm-hmm. loyal. At fans. this point, probably yeah. And then I think they've also done things like um, Guardians of the Galaxy, which was a comedy, not an action adventure mm. that could be funny. It was a comedy. Its tone mm-hmm. was very different, actually. Um, right. And so I think that was encouraging people a lot. But um, and I, I wish I could remember who said this. I think it was on Twitter. I really can't attribute it. But someone mentioned that C.S. Lewis. Yeah, <laughs> potentially. I'm not sure. This could have been pilfered from C.S. Lewis. Most mm-hmm. smart things are. But someone said that the Christopher Nolan movies were not good. Okay, it's not C.S. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> the Christopher Nolan movies were not good and um, compelling because they were dark. They were good and compelling because they delve into character. Um, a character psychosis and character motivations so, okay. in a, a, a fascinating way. The characters just happened to be dark. I'm going to bring up a video game analogy here. So Abigail can check out of this for now because she has not played this game. But Steven, we were talking about this, I believe in the last for uh, a prior whales or whales podcast with Cameron um, and Zach. And we were talking about how the Arkham Asylum games were amazing, not because of the type of gameplay they created, the Batman games, but because they felt like an entire new game type was created about Batman. Yeah. Like, the tone of those games, how those games played, how those games were constructed, we had never seen before, so it felt like they basically came up with this stuff to create a Batman game that was Batman as Batman-y as possible. But as these concepts became widespread used for game after game since then, for games that had nothing to do with Batman, they just thought, you know, these these were cool ways to make an action-adventure game in the modern age, the ideas lost like 80% of their appeal because now it's just like, oh, it's one of these games, one of these mechanics applied to things that have nothing to do with it rather than being something created around the character to begin with. And that sounds like what you're saying with the tone is the Christopher Nolan movies were cool because they're like, this tone is created to delve into this character. So the tone matches the character. It's not just like Mm -hmm. darkness is cool. Let's make all, let's make dark superhero movies now. It's like how Marvel said, how are we going to shoehorn these silly, ridiculous, insane Guardians of the Galaxy's characters into our cinematic universe well what if we poke fun at it to the extent where we change the genre that said that, that criticism is a little interesting because this is a batman movie mm-hmm. and you can see it's a superman movie but it is batman versus superman so if the t- film wants a cohesive tone it is going to have to choose some sort of direction uh that's true i i suppose uh at some point you have to Maybe people are just tired of Batman. <laughs> you know, that's also a possibility. But yeah. so, it could be a possibility. So it, it does get tiring. So it does get tiring when you do the same thing over and over again. Um, and I'm sorry, I really did check out for the last part of this, so I don't know <laughs> if this is related. But um, as far as taking the tone of things and basically ruining them, um, as you know, your your Twitter friend had mentioned way earlier in this podcast. Um, <laughs> When you have things like superheroes that are reused time and time and time again, it gets really boring to do them all one way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, for one, am totally okay with them experiencing experimenting with something new as long as they do it well. So just making these characters dark for no reason, it's not going to work. However, if they do approach it in the Christopher Nolan-like way that y'all were talking about, in which you delve into their psyche, you have really good reasons for it, you have motivation. 
I think it can be done amazingly well. Um, for example, one theory on uh, basically the way Lex Luthor has been portrayed in a lot of these movies, he's always like the evil uh, villain who just likes to take money and, oh, I'm just, I hate Superman, he's terrible. Um, but another way to look at him is he's the only one who has noticed, wow, there is an alien who has come down from God knows where. He is way more powerful than anyone in this world. How do we know that he's actually good? Y'all are all stupid for trusting this person blindly. Right. Um, and Lex Luthor could play like a really interesting role in this movie. He know. totally could. And I'm super excited. I'm hoping that he does. Just judging by the, like based on the tone of this trailer and some of the dialogue that I heard, I am very excited because I think that Lex Luthor might actually have a good part in this movie. Um, but that's kind of the way that you can change the tone simply by delving into the psyche of someone and realizing, oh, they actually have motivations for this stuff going on. So it's OK. I don't mind it being new and different. Right. And right. And I think that's something that fascinates me about this is I know it's Batman being mis done the same way, but I kind of honestly, the Lego movie kind of fulfilled my let's see Batman in a different light. Isn't there <laughs> also a Batman like cartoon or something coming out with the voice from, uh, oh, the 60s Batman is coming back. I think they're going to make a movie. Oh, that's actually. amazing. Right. And I, Stephen Dean, Adam West, yeah. is that it? Yeah, so like, I feel like there's a market of that Batman, so I don't really, I don't really mind that, you know, Batman's dark again. Like, you know, he's dark, he's gonna be around. Why this movie fascinates me is exactly what you're saying, Abigail. It's taking a different tone to Superman. And that's some of the mm -hmm. crazy things about tone. It's playing with the same character, but eliciting a different emotional response to you. Nothing Superman did in that trailer was like, whoa, he's, he's murdering children. Yeah. He was, he was walking around, he was looking dashing, he was flying, he had a statue of him in the city. But it was this idea, suddenly you don't trust him. Like To me, this this trailer is all about perception. Right. It's all about it the all, people's perception. Yeah, it was all about just like, suddenly you're like paranoid. Superman didn't say anything, which was really interesting in the trailer. Like, mm -hmm. you, you didn't get to just hear him speak. Uh, maybe he had like one line, but I didn't hear it. Um, and he was like, he, they very much made Superman an unknown. And it's like, mm -hmm. what are people projecting on him? What is he actually? What is he thinking? And that's suddenly an interesting character is Superman. Cause when you don't know what he's thinking and you think of him as like this alien, like that's a tone that can suddenly make an otherwise seemingly boring, perfect character really interesting again. And that is, and oh, go ahead. Oh, go I ahead. <laughs> I, re I refuse. I'm going to be sure. Uh, oh, thank you. Speak. Um, that's actually, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> So I just came up with something. Um, mm -hmm. I was previously thinking when I saw the trailer the first time, I thought Batman versus Superman. It made me question Batman a little bit because I'm going, well, although he's seen as as bad, he's seen as like he is a vigilante, but he's seen as negative usually. But we know he's good and we know he stands for good. And so in my head, I'm going, why is it Batman versus Superman? Does that mean Superman's actually evil? Um, mm -hmm. But then, as we were just now talking, I'm putting them in their lights and I'm saying, oh, one's a human and one's an alien. Um, and it can very easily be misconstrued back into that whole, okay, well, we can't trust this guy, but, you know, I know who I am and I'm human and I'm not evil, so you can't trust me. And so I don't know if this movie's actually about them, like, fighting each other or if it's just about mm -hmm. their two stories. I have no idea how this versus is coming into play. Um, but as you were talking about that, there's even a couple of different ways to see that, just right. the name of it, but it, it all plays into perception. Exactly. And it's just this tone they've created of mystery and uncertainty. You don't and know. uncertainty <laughs> is something that just is 
immediately interesting to me with something superheroes because superheroes are so easily something so certain. Um, so just some, they just, just they, from from the very beginning, they just say what they mean and they're relatable or they're totally unrelatable, but you don't need to relate with them because they're just constantly telling you what they're thinking. <laughs> like it was kind right, of a thing. Exactly. But they're talk bubbles. And I think that's one reason um, in all of fiction and all of storytelling, but especially superheroes, that's why people go with these big tone shifts because mm-hmm. um, that's how you keep it interesting. Like if you look at yeah, you a timeline for, you know, Batman or Superman or most superheroes, they're going to go up and down and back up and back down, um, depending on what year it is, on how they're being perceived. Batman's super dark and edgy. Batman's a funny, likable character on the silver screen. Now Batman's really grungy again. He's getting beat up and no, actually, look, it's Lego Batman. And look at that. He's making funny mm-hmm. jokes. It's going to constantly change when you have such a long running story. Right. Uh, I totally agree. So moving outside of just this trailer, Batman v Superman, what are some of your guys like favorite uses of tone in media? Like, is there any or storytelling? Is there any story that's just like the tone of the story speaks to you maybe even more than just the storyline itself? Um, well, yes, I would say one would be Shadow of the Colossus. That's a really good pick. Yes. Um, Man, I'm not sure what point I want to illustrate with this, especially since it's I know interesting because hasn't played it. there's not an example like, you know, Superman is like, it's interesting because Superman is light and this is dark. Like the juxtaposition is what makes um, the Batman v Superman thing interesting to me. But Shadow of the Colossus is not like another thing it's juxtaposing to. It just creates a very emotional response and all the plot details almost become unnecessary because of the pure tone they create. Right. Um I mean, actually, I think the Shadow of the Colossus is a little too standalone and u- mm-hmm. unique to really add to the conversation. So maybe right. I won't delve into that, though. I boy, do I love the tone it sets. I think it's a good choice, though. Um, I think it's also this lack of tone variety um, going to another video game example and something we talk about quite often is one reason I think people are getting really bored with Nintendo um, mm. because Nintendo is a company that uses the same stable of characters repeatedly. Mario, Donkey Kong. Zelda, etc. But most, if not all of their series have been stuck in a tonal rut for years at this mm-hmm. point, pretty much all through the Wii and all through the Wii U. And I'm kind of having an epiphany here when you look back on it. Like that's when you talk about the mystery of the N64 and, you know, the, the interesting different worlds you felt you're going into with stuff like Donkey Kong Country and Metroid Prime. Their tone is so consistent, even across games right now, that it doesn't elicit any new emotional response from you. Sure, the places, like, they're really good at making these colorful, fun, bubbly worlds. They look really good. They play really well often. But the tone is just monotone at this point, for the most part. And I suppose that's really what tone is all about. Like you were saying, Abigail, it's all in the perspective. It's the tone is there. It almost doesn't matter what you're looking at. It matters what color it's painted. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's one reason that people get so up in arms about it is they really love a certain color. And when you change that mm-hmm. color of a familiar thing, it becomes uncanny or unlikable or hateable even. Um, I mean, how many times have you heard people say, oh, no, the next installment is dark and gritty. It's the dark and gritty reboot. That became like a, a cliche for a long time. Mm-hmm. Because that tone may have been new for the series, but you'd seen it in so many other series that it, too, was becoming a monotone for you, mm-hmm. if you will. Like Even tone itself, it's it's going to be something. There's really only a limited number of tones. 
-hmm. it's really hard to have a completely new tone to something. And with the amount of things, especially in genres that we're familiar with, we're running out of things to put new tones to. And that could be part of the reason that people get so upset is because tone, going all the way back to the same orchestra <laughs> um, kind of example, it can't necessarily stand on its own. Um, although it you is stand on its tone. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Since... that was genuine laugh. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. that's how I actually laugh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but tone can't be the only thing that you're going for. As you said, somebody might not like the color orange. Um, they might not like an orange car, but an orange car that goes really fast, they might like. I don't know, something mm -hmm. like that. Like. One of the reasons that I think people are getting so upset about using the same tone over and over again is because, well, you're not using anything else over and over again. Mm -hmm. You're using the tone as like, this is what's new and cool. Exactly. We don't actually have to make a good it's product. It's really hard it. to do that because there's only a limited number of tones. Right. So let's The other difficulty with tone is it goes to like a flavor of the week syndrome mm -hmm. where someone says, whoa, this tone is successful. Let's all emulate it. And then you mm -hmm. just get... Like more than anything, because the thing about tone, again, is it can apply to everything. Right. So you can make everything dark and gritty. You can exactly. make a fantasy dark and gritty. You can have every genre. You can have every kind of character. Exactly. Just look at like, you know, Game of Thrones is dark and gritty. So fantasy is dark and gritty. And now superheroes are dark and gritty now with DC. So you can like, video games are dark and gritty with like everything. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what dramas are dark can, and gritty? What if we went over the shift to darkness and the shift to lightness? Sure. Like... When you look at the shift to darkness, why is that such a popular choice now? Why was it beloved, uh, you know, for example, in the Batman films in the first place? Why does mm -hmm. it seem like so many of the darkest, um, most disturbing uh, television shows and movies and video games on the market are also some of the most popular and best? I think the quickest reason or one of the largest reasons is it's being applied to a lot of things that before children like. In prior generations, if you look at video games, even if at some extent you look at fantasy, which used to come from fairy tales, you look at superheroes. This is the idea of, oh, our fan base has grown up and a lot of people don't necessarily still want to be um, playing or watching the light and bubbly. They want something that feels dark and mature and more suited to their adult tastes. So we need to grow up with them. And I think that's where, especially in video games, which is do, does it in a much less mature fashion than a lot of other mediums, where some of that comes from. This is the idea of we want to keep up with our audience, and this audience is growing up now. Definitely makes sense. At the same time, I feel like another part of the puzzle, the first thing that came to my mind was, for just dark and gritty in and of itself, it's very different from the world that we're used to. Mm -hmm. um, and the world that we're used to is, is, for the most part, you know, in our society, is nice and polite, it's comfortable, it's, you know, it's everything that we wanted. We don't like yelling at people unless you're a very special kind of person. We don't like getting into fights. It's actually illegal to strike someone in public, etc. Things like that. Um, and I feel like that's one of the reasons that these things are so popular is because that kind of world is very intriguing to us because it's something that we don't know. Although we know mm -hmm. it exists, we know it's possible, most of us don't know it firsthand. Um, and really good example of this is the um, movie Saving Private Ryan was very, very popular. It's very, very well done. A lot of people really love this movie, pretty much except for soldiers, 
Um, there was like mm-hmm. a group of soldiers who watched this film and were just like, why would anyone ever put that on camera? Because they had actually lived it and they knew what it was like. And I have a feeling that part of the reason we're so drawn to this is just because it's so new and it's different, but it's not something that we're willing to go out and experience for real. That's that's an interesting perspective that I actually didn't have. That's um, another uh, similar theory I've heard to like why we're so enamored with violence is mm-hmm. modern society gives us very, very little personal experience with violence. And if you look at the history of humans, we used to have a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to fill that somehow. So we just make obscenely violent entertainment. Um, and yeah, it's a really good point. Abigail I hadn't quite thought. Of I it mean, to be honest, I thought time. it was the other way around, though. I thought that hmm. before, let's take fantasy for for example, in the Lord of the mm-hmm. Rings, everyone is dashing, everyone is striking. The monarchs are good. The villains are evil. the The landscape is rolling and beautiful, and everyone speaks perfectly. Um, even when they, you know, speak in Hobbit fashion, it's in a very likable, you know, um, colloquial, colloquial, familiar, you know, warm and fuzzy fashion. Then right. Game of Thrones comes along and people say, that's more like it. This isn't fate. This isn't people are people. People make mistakes. People aren't good. Mm-hmm. People aren't bad. This is real. This is like the real world because, yeah, people are going to do these terrible, um, evil or not, not just evil, but, um, selfish or vulgar or or just unlikable things because they're people and that's what the real world is like and now it is relatable and deep and these characters are are no longer just shallow superman and um gandalf uh figures they're 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 real so Mm -hmm. i if you look at something like fallout it kind of drives that home i think more than most things because it has this juxtaposition of this horrible post-apocalyptic gritty if you will real and very flawed universe juxtaposed to the types of like advertisements and popular culture that existed in the 40s and 30s where everything's just shiny and happy and perfect and utopian um so in a way that's kind of the difference you're talking about steven yeah so i don't i don't think either of us are wrong or right but abigail was saying it's escapism it's not like our world and i'm saying it's relatable because it's flawed like our world. Mm-hmm. I suppose and it's I think a combination they both of them. Ha- <laughs> they both have a merit there. Um, I know the what you were talking when you were talking, the the television show Breaking Bad came into my head because one yeah. of the reasons that that show has been so highly praised is because it is real. Although it's dark and it's gritty, it's something that we don't want to experience. But at the same time, it's also something very real. And the characters, when they make a mistake or they do something, their consequence is equally as heavy as their action. Right. And that right. doesn't, like, it's and no that that's the thing that makes it, that show more real than just, oh, here, let's do an action movie and let's kill all the bad guys. But with this show, it, it is it has that element of, you know, action or grittiness and whatnot. Because the stakes, I'm sorry, the consequences are as as weighty as the character's actions, the stakes are so high, it also makes it very real. And it is one of the most highly praised television shows that I have heard of. And I think mm-hmm. it's because of a combination of that. I, I mean, Breaking yeah. Bad is very much in the same, um, perhaps, critically received and hard-hitting company as a show such as Friends. I'm very much focused on characters and how, the choices they make in their lives. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Only friends. with uh, Breaking Bad, there's more plot than. <laughs> <laughs> so, exactly. so one more aspect of going in the dark direction that I wanted to touch upon, um, which was um, when you put the stakes up really high and things start to get more real, um, the emotions are easier to. Well, I don't want to say manipulate, but um, mm. no, I would agree with that. Running, emotions are they running are hot. a lot easier, honestly, from a, from a writing standpoint. At least for me, dark and sad and depressing and scary has always been easier to create in someone mm-hmm. than laughter and happiness, which is weird. Yeah, I mean, another. I'm not going to say that there's anything behind that, but <laughs> that's weird. You have the whole Uncharted series, uh, which is basically mm-hmm. Indiana Jones in video game form. And then the follow-up to that, which is The Last of Us, which is, you know, sort of like a post-apocalyptic zombie story focused on um, two characters, just very close view of those mm-hmm. two characters. And because the everything is treated so somberly and seriously and beautifully, um, it's even easier to get swept up in the emotion. The writing also happens to be fantastic and, and better than the Uncharted games, probably. And again, very real, but, which is why it feels Yeah, so but good. it, like, especially that first scene, I certainly won't spoil it, but it felt like you could be there. And so when that thing happened, you just, you, you were crushed. It was like, uh, no, I, I, I'm here. I can imagine this happening. Um, so I think that's mm-hmm. another reason why it's become very popular. People have found a way to, take you along for the ride in a a less fantastical fashion. So on the other end, though, you look at Marvel movies, you look at uh, like Pixar and children's movies, which are now like super high grossing and like everyone Mm -hmm. goes to see. There's this rise of really happy, really funny, really light media. Um, That's kind of a counter push to this. I mean, this whole conversation started with that people were hating that Batman versus Superman is dark because Superman should be light and good and fun. They often point to Winter Soldier as a good example of this, and I hold my tongue patiently. <laughs> um, but it's this idea, you know, it's Marvel has captured people because they've made superheroes fun again um, on the big screen, which most movie creators weren't getting in the early attempts. So, Stephen, what do you, like, think that... What do you think compels people for to take that kind of counter-reaction with the tone? Um, well, wait, what compels people to enjoy the lighthearted tone or why people are making... Right. Uh, difference between dark and light i would say the enjoying the light because we talked about light yeah and dark well so. i think that it's it's in a way much simpler and purer um mm-hmm. purer yeah purer. who's with me more purer, purer? i'm not sure hmm. purer all right well i don't I feel want... like it's more pure more m- purer more pure what kind of but there is purest so purer might be in puritans hmm. okay <laughs> well the point is it is escapism it is it's it's fun it mm-hmm. it gives you it's comfortable it's it's, it's familiar exact. but it's over the top it's it uh it inspires you i mean the lego movie for example is one of my favorite films of all time um probably the best animated film save for like toy story or something uh, as far as i'm concerned and that's because it does it taps into childhood it reminds me of like all the old heroes that i love it reminds me of like creating my own adventures and creating my own um stories and it's it's just everything that is enthusiasm about life and that's kind of i think what the what a, a light-hearted tone especially what's popular now with pixar it's what it does it uh it leaves you happier than you were makes you want to make your life even better um which is kind of a weird 
I won't say opposite because I'll, I'll go out of a, a dark movie or let's say The Last of Us again. I will come out wanting my life to be better, but in a different way. If it's not, I don't want my life to turn out this way. It's I've learned something through these characters. You know, it's a very different um, approach. Right. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Also, pure adjective, purer, purist, according to dictionary.com. Thanks. So, Thanks for clearing that up. Uh, you're welcome, Emma. Yeah, I, I will. I will avoid or choose to ignore the sarcasm in your voice. Uh, <laughs> See, what's actually half not sarcastic, but I realized after it came out of my mouth how sarcastic it sounded. It sounded. Very sarcastic. I just yes, rolled with it. it. Oh, rolled man. your eyes with it. It's more like it. Uh, <laughs> oh. So here's a little question for you guys, though. Yes. Can you think of very many uh, stories that took a shift towards the light side it's always like a dark remake is can you think of any light remakes that's a good question I'm trying to think uh, of yes. remakes now go wait direct remakes well no not necessarily just a follow-up You're that is like taking a, a lighter tone of the seer a series oh yeah okay, so like batman and the lego movie um, did not count because that's a portrayable spell killer oh no i think that i think in a way that could count it, at least it's a uh, commentary on it. The Lego Batman games. All of the Lego games. <laughs> the Lego Lord of the Rings, the Lego Batman. The Lego <laughs> that's everything true. is a light reboot of something and turning it into comedic. Most parodies. Yeah, it's a good point. Are yeah, parodies are definitely. I'm going to take a stab in the dark. Um, my opinion on these movies are usually contrary to everyone else's. Okay. But um, the newest, well, I guess I shouldn't say newest anymore. The second newest Spider Man movies. Um, the ones with, like, Andrew Garfield, I yeah, think was his name. Right. In mm-hmm. my opinion, were way lighter than the other ones. The Tobey Maguire ones? Yeah. Tobey Maguire, mm-hmm. he was more of, like, a depressed kind of moody character, whereas in the yes. newer ones, he was funny and quippy and had great lines. And Right. But that was kind of a return to form for Spider-Man, because that's what everyone complained about for Tobey Maguire, is that he didn't have quippy lines. That's true. It was a return to form, which I realized later as I discovered more Spider-Man. Um, yeah. But it, it was kind of this, like, it was mm-hmm. kind of cool seeing two different sides. Because yeah. he could definitely have those two different personalities. But in my opinion, I, I was really happy with that reboot. I know that it got mm-hmm. a lot of criticism, and I understand why, but I still liked it. Yeah, cartoons of anything. The Clone Wars oh, yeah. series would be a oh. light reboot, even Anything made series. for children. Anything it, made that is perfect. Pretty uh, much a light like reboot. Like every Disney fairy tale took yeah, out all of totally the mean elements rebuilt. and turned them into a lovable light story right. instead of killing mm-hmm. people at the end every time. That's a really good example, actually. I think that's the best example of this. <laughs> so there are some examples of light uh, remakes, and they're incredibly popular for good mm-hmm. reason. Yeah, and, and as long as you can capture the same character and the same message and the same themes mm-hmm. and whatnot, any kind of tonal reboot can be a success. Right. They're just, they're changing the, the emotional response you get from the mm-hmm. thing. Suddenly it's wonder and fun and, and magic that you get from these stories that were actually quite dark and morbid originally. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, I have an amazing example. What's that? The Legend of Zelda. Uh, um, because you went into Ocarina of Time, which is the big, crazy, super popular mm-hmm. epic on the Nintendo 64, followed oh, up by one of the strangest, most surreal, uh, stories about death I have ever experienced. Majora's Very Mask. much an old fairy tale feel. Yeah. Then, years later, The Wind Waker comes out. Following up on the somewhat dark, somewhat spooky, um, very morbid uh, story of Majora's Mask, you get a beautiful cartoon world of oceans and fun and whimsy and 
it caused the biggest stir with video game players. The biggest. Well, video game players, especially at that period, were rather, what would you say? They had a bad sense of tone wherein they thought if it was light, it was only for kids and it was dumb and it wasn't mature enough. Right. It was a very, very common refrain and kind of still is many of among the, the video many game of the community. people who grew up with, who with video games were entering their, you know, late teens or early 20s right. and they were... Or even early or teens. Early teens. Might like, even be the I guess biggest I mean, example like the, of that point of view. The teenager, they were basically yeah. teenagers. <laughs> so they were just angry about right. everything. <laughs> um, but that was a huge one. Such a bold new move. Yeah. And in terms of making people angry, yeah. Um, despite all of the, uh, kerfuffling going on, it turned yes. out to be uh, probably the most inspired entry in the entire series. Agreed. Um, so, I mean, it, it can be done well. Um, you could be mm-hmm. more, um, more, I don't want to use the word inspired twice in a row, but I guess it just did. Do it. You mean more inspired um, with a a less serious vibe than with a more serious vibe, even though it's kind of the, you know, it's pigeonholed the other way around. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm going to be interested to see how these tones kind of work together. Like we were talking about the realism of a dark tone and, you know, the the bright, like, idealism of a light tone. I'm curious to see more examples, and I'm sure there are a bunch out there, and I just never coming to, to mind right now, of, like, realism, but with a light tone, if that makes sense. Like, something can be very real without being murderous and horrible mm-hmm. and and crooked, because the world, honestly, isn't... Your experience of the world is very going to... Rarely going to be as dark as those, yet they feel more real than things that have a light tone. Um, I think it depends... Yeah, but can you think of an example of something that feels like that gets that sense of kind of not even visceral, but that sense of everyday reality of how people act, but isn't horribly dark? I'm trying. Because sitcoms always play it up like crazy. So it's nothing like real. Sitcoms play it up, but I think there's a lot of movies that are very similar to how people actually act. Honestly, I hate to bring them up again, but romantic comedies... Um, or any of those kind of lighthearted, feel-good films are mm. always very good representations. I mean, the lines, of course, are more edited than people actually speak. Some of the events that happen are quite <laughs> unlikely, sure. But the way that people interact, the way that things happen, the good and the bad are all pretty realistic. Interesting. Only it focuses on the lighter stories. You know, it focuses on these characters who are loving each other or, you know, doing good things for each other or trying to win each other over or something like that. And so there's still kind of the struggle and there is a real feeling with that as well because in that whole realm, there's a lot of feelings that go around that aren't necessarily rational. Um, And so characters will do weird things and act out, but it's all very real. I'm thinking back and I, I I mean, that may be one reason why those resonate with you. You talk about why you like to watch them so much. Maybe that's part of it. This is the mm-hmm. idea that it gets across the realism without necessarily being, I am a drug lord that is ruining everything. Um, <laughs> actually, but, things like that actually feel a little less real to me. Yeah. The number one example for me is that I just realized now is Boyhood was oh, yeah. insane at doing this. Like, I that still did it. haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. You, you both should. It's great. It shows horrible, like dark portions of people's lives but it's something that someone could totally go through just like the very happy light portions like i've never seen and it's of course totally what the movie set out to do such an accurate portrayal of life as boyhood did and that was a very interesting towing of the line i wouldn't call that movie necessarily light or dark it just was 
Um, and that's a very and that's interesting kind thing of to what me to life explore. is. Life isn't yeah. necessarily light or dark. There's good times and there's bad times, and you're gonna have both. Right. I mean, all tone is just us calling things one thing or the other. Like, you know, we have no context for what life is in a larger context. So life, of course, as a whole is the neutral. And then we label certain things in it light and dark. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just the emotional kind of spectrum we're trying to capture. In things. And, it's, uh, when and we, it kind of does go. When you want to tell a story about one thing, we want to. Right. We don't want to give you every emotion at the same time. So we paint in very specific colors and, you know, um, mm-hmm. We'll choose a palette and stick with it because it has consistency and makes sense as a single storyline. And yeah, I think that goes back to we were talking about realism and with the few exceptions like boyhood and even that had like a specific message it was trying to tell. Stories aren't necessarily just trying to take snippets of life and put them out there. Yeah. Like stories are creating something more specific, something more cohesive. They're often telling a life from a specific angle or they're telling some resonant tale that is trying to like get a specific emotion across and so this look for more realism and greediness and all that and things like game of thrones and breaking bad is great but it isn't the only side of the spectrum you Mm -hmm. you can go on like it isn't the only emotion you can get is it's more like life it's it it shows how life is horrible it doesn't sugarcoat like that's not the only thing i think um something that's fallen very much out of favor is symbolism and the kind of metaphor type storytelling that stuff like you know lord of the rings love to do Lord of the Rings has fallen out of favor a lot because it doesn't have that snazzy dialogue and um, and realistic characters. But that wasn't ever the intent of the work to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think tone speaks a lot to how the intent of the work is more. And it goes back to, again, George Lucas on dialogue. Um, tone is one of the ways that you can be telling something that's more than just, you know, a a snippet of reality that tells a specific sequence of events. That's true, Brian. Thank you. I think that was a very well-rounded thought. <laughs> it might even be our last thought. I kind of feel like it was we, very conclusive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought so too. I thought so too. So good job, sure Brian. <laughs> High five. <laughs> Are you hitting your desk okay. again? I hit my microphone. Oh. I uh, thought about hitting note, my microphone, but I didn't. Yeah, you didn't go the whole way, Abigail. Sorry, I clapped. Yeah, you did clap. I appreciated that. I'm gonna like sync your audio starting there. <laughs> The rest of our files. Thank you. It's going to be great. Um, all right. So we're going to close the episode out now. Thank you both for an enlightening discussion on tone. And then an endarkening discussion. It was both. Oh, uh, that's really good. Wait, I, I like thought you did one. that on purpose. What, me? Yeah. I didn't. Oh, wow. That's Steven the first. Did. I got yeah. his. Yep. Go, Steven. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm leaving. For the first time, I am proud to call you my brother. No, <laughs> what? I'm always proud to call you my brother, Steven. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Oh, All right. Really you can follow us on Twitter at third person show. Our email is third person show at gmail.com. On YouTube, we are third person, a storytelling podcast. And we are part of the Whales Are Whales podcasting and internet media network, which has an awesome acronym. I'm not just, just not quite sure what it is yet. You can find other awesome shows like this with other awesome people like us at whalesarewhales.com. I am on Twitter at Lord Meldor. That's Lord M-E-L-D-O-R-R. Steven is Stephen Kelly 180 and Abigail the is... The Thinky Reader. Ab- oh. <laughs> <laughs> Abigail is Abigail underscore Inslee. That is E-N-D-S-L-E-Y. Not like Steven spells it, which is incorrect. Does Steven spell it wrong? I may, I misspelled it wrong. in a very important place once. 
in the credits of that video you guys worked on, I looked. Oh, really? Like, Wait a second. That's not how you spell her last name. That's so funny. I've watched that video three or four times and never noticed. <laughs> I didn't notice it until that like two nights ago. And I'm like, wait, Hilarious. Stephen, look, you spelled her name wrong. Abigail Indelisay. Yeah, it's endless. Oh, okay. So. That's why. Because you just flip letters. Yeah. See, the yeah. most common misspelling of my name is to omit the D. So the D-E-N-S-L-E-Y. Uh, yeah. I mean, I knew how to spell it. I just slipped up. All right. It was a typo. What's hilarious is this might be our second, third person episode that we end talking about the spelling of Abigail's last name. Because always the last thing to talk about is Well, that's how you end an episode. Oh. I'm funny. thinking of just ending it hard with that, but you know, uh, Stephen, is there anything else you wanted to plug? Anything you've been doing recently? Um, nope. Abigail, is there anything boring. else you wanted to plug? Anything you've been doing recently? No, no, I haven't been doing anything recently. Actually, all right. Well, I'd like to plug something I've been doing recently because <laughs> <laughs> you people are boring. Go right ahead, Brian. Um, for anyone who's interested in Hearthstone: Heroes of Warcraft, a trading card game that Blizzard, the makers of World of Warcraft, make. I run a Hearthstone podcast now with two good friends of mine that you can find by looking up Hearthaholics, a Hearthstone podcast. It is on Whales or Whales at whalesorwhales.com slash Hearthaholics. And you can also just look up Hearthaholics on iTunes or YouTube, etc. It's been a lot of fun. So definitely check that out if you like Hearthstone or just want to learn more about it. It's a very relaxed, chill chat between the three of us. And I make a ludicrous amount of puns on it. So... If that's I'm why you come to this show, you have another show to go to, my friend. So I think that's I, a really I'm, I'm good ending. That, that is a like right there, ending. my friend, and just like cut it off. That you know you that could work, that. but you know what we could also do is we could have Stephen read off the entire Polygon article about George Lucas's interview. Um, no, but do it in his George Lucas. Approach. Okay, but but I'm right, gonna go. I'm gonna like stop recording or something. <clears throat> Don't stop recording, Abigail. <laughs> this is important. All right, here we go. Um, right, let me go ahead. George Lucas line. Um, uh, oh yes, the line. That's actually a pretty Where good does idea. Where does it start? Um, it starts. Tell me what um, to control F. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're going to control F, Lucas. Sorry, no, no. You're going to control. You're going to control F. N O period space I. Okay. <clears throat> Gotta get my eyes squinty. All right. No, I believe half the movie is the sound. The sound is extremely important, but the dialogue is not. It's not really the issue. It's, I'm not for wooden dialogue, but at the same time, really gets like points ahead and above himself. Here comes another one. You gotta say that. 